It's Jess. Welcome back to the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast, where I discuss all things style, wellness, pop culture, and whatever else I feel like talking about from week to week. I hope this podcast finds you well. Are we beyond the place where like we're sending that in emails? It's always felt kind of trite, but in a pandemic, it really does. It's like, well, do you think the email found me well? Or do we just accept that it's just a common greeting and we all need to accept it and move on with our lives? Let me know what y'all think about. I hope this finds you well. But I do hope that the sound of my voice finds you well. I truly do mean it. Um, Thank you for joining me again for me to ramble on about the many tabs that are open in my mind. As per usual, I'm going to kick off this episode with a fashion tip. This fashion tip is for those of us who feel a little bit more comfortable venturing out into the world since it looks like hopefully we're maybe at the tail end of the panoramic the patty mayonnaise, the pirouette, whatever fun thing you're calling the pandemic because we have to laugh to keep from crying. If you have been vaccinated and you feel comfortable going out, you know, the debate is still ongoing about to mask or not to mask. I'm still gonna mask because I don't trust people. But if you have decided to venture out a bit and you're doing so safely, taking proper precautions, I want to admonish you to check out Target's spring dress selection. That's right. Target has some pieces. I bought a couple. I was able to secure a Christopher John Rogers for Target dress, but I had to get it several sizes too big. And that's okay because we're going to get that thing altered to perfection. Can't wait for you guys to see it. So make sure you check my Instagram and my like to know it profile. If you're not following me on like to know it, please do so. I promise I'll put cute stuff on there and um, helpful shopping tips. I'm always trying to help y'all find a little bargain, a little steal or whatever. I really like, outside of the Christopher John Rogers collection, Target has some really nice and affordable, and when I say affordable, I mean $25, um, spring dresses that you can really dress up and dress down. You can do the very New York commuter city thing and pair them with um, a cute sneaker. I prefer a light, sleek sneaker, like a Stan Smith kind of vibe or something similar. For the summer, I am not into the big chunky sneaker thing. Um, Maybe that's because I'm 33, but it's also like, I just don't think that anyone's look has ever been made better by making their foot appear to be three sizes larger than what it is. But that's just me. Um, I definitely recommend if you're going to be out in the city, one of these cute dresses, maybe belt it. Um, and or add some necklaces, and or add some bangles. If you go casual on the shoe, you can add more accessories, but be careful. I'm not saying go out and get like costume jewelry. I'm not telling you to wear a chandelier earring with a daytime spring dress and some sneakers. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying add you some hoops, okay? Add you some bangles, you know, set them things up, that kind of vibe. I did not tell you to go out here and wear a costume earring at noon on a Tuesday, all right? 
Don't tell nobody I told you to do that. However, this look can also go tonight. Y'all start off in the daytime. Maybe you're doing like, again, us New Yorkers. You carry a change of shoes in your bag, okay? You pop on a heel with that thing. You're good to go. So I'm going to put some links to some Target options in my Like to Know It profile and on my Instagram. Both are linked in the episode description, so check those out. Today's episode, I'm being very brave and talking about two topics that one of which I've kind of avoided talking about because I just didn't feel qualified, but I have some thoughts to share and some questions to ask. So I'm going to do it here with my audience. And those two topics are number one, pretty privilege, and number two, pick me's. So stay tuned. Let's dissect this together because I have questions and thoughts and comments and concerns. Stay tuned. Welcome back, my peoples. So I want to start this conversation off with what I feel is the easier topic for me. I want to first start by defining a pick-me. I think a pick-me is a woman who feeds into negative stereotypes about other women who leans into this idea of exceptionalism when it comes to women and how they perform womanhood, a woman who celebrates in the degradation of other women in order to gain favor with men. So as to say, I'm not like the other girls. I'm very special. I'm unique. I do X, Y, and Z, insert, um, heteronormative feminine gender roles here. And so I'm not like the other girls, so you should pick me. It is a woman who tries to benefit from misogyny, basically. And the really screwed up part about that is that you end up not actually um, benefiting at all. Um, because one thing that you cannot do is underestimate the capacity to which Some people don't actually know what they want. And sometimes when people don't get the kind of partnership or desirability that they want, they have to start looking to these external generalizations about why that thing is or isn't happening for them. And so we'll get to that in the the second part of this discussion. So just kind of put that in your pocket. When things don't work out for us, we look for an external group to blame. Now, sometimes, oftentimes, there is a system at play. More often than not, though, in these kinds of conversations about desirability, there is a little bit of like incel energy (laughs) where Things just aren't going the way that you want for them to go romantically or, again, from a desirability standpoint. So it's like, oh, it must be that all these other people are living wrong and I'm right. So what sparked this conversation for me, um, which it's kind of like an ongoing conversation on Twitter, to be honest, um, because there is a lot of internalized misogyny in the world, um, 
And that's a lot to unpack for, you know, one podcast episode. So I'm going to do my best to unpack quite a bit here. So just go on this ride with me. I saw someone tweet something about the fact that they feel like women shame them by calling them a pick me just because like they would be happy to make their husband a sandwich or something like that. And it was like, you know, we get attacked by other women just because like we want to um, basically kind of fulfill these heteronormative um, feminine gender roles. And my first response to that was like, well, that's not what a pick me is. A pick me isn't just a woman who, you know, leans into the typical um, standard of how to perform womanhood of being like a wife and a mother. That's not a pick me. It's when you try to downplay or you lean into these negative stereotypes, like I said at the the top of this segment. Um, What I will say is that recently I watched a video, a YouTube video by Shan Booty, who is a relationship and sex expert. Um, She's very, very smart and has a really kind way of approaching taboo topics, especially surrounding sex and dating and relationships. I highly recommend getting into her. Um, I'm going to put a link to that episode or to that that YouTube video in my episode description because I really want everyone to see it. This particular video that she did was in response to um, a Candace Owens podcast interview. I just want to go ahead and say right now that... um, Candace Owens is not within my ministry of uh, beliefs or as Shan so lovingly put it, Candace Owens is not in my wheelhouse of joy. I will be using that often because what a kind way to say that's not my brand of bitch. But um, I also saw that on Twitter. I can't remember who said it, but I really like it. Not my brand of bitch. Shouts out to whoever you are. I love that. Um, Candace Owens says some problematic things. That's what she's known for. Uh, Shan did a great job of breaking down some of those things that she said in this podcast. But one of the, Shan, I think, is a very fair um, observer, right? So she pointed out where Candace Owens, in that even a broken clock is right twice a day, made a valid point that we don't show both or a multitude of experiences in womanhood in the same way. That we could stand to do a better job of celebrating women who choose the roles of wife and mother, just like we celebrate and admire women who are working moms or who aren't moms and wives at all. We really, you know, celebrate I think, okay, from my perspective, I think we celebrate working moms more than we celebrate women who choose not to be wives or mo- and or mothers at all. There is always the, oh, but she did, she never had kids. Oh, but she never married. In this really like sad way, I think that that experience needs to be validated more publicly as well. But I will say that even I, when I first was coming into my awareness of what patriarchy is and the way that patriarchy works. And when I was coming into identifying as a feminist, I fell into the trap of 
speaking down about women who choose to be wives and mothers. I would always say, oh, you're just a stay-at-home mom, this really condescending way. And I had a really good friend who explained to me um, her mom's choice to be a stay-at-home mom and wife and the fact that we get sold what Chimamanda calls a single story. And there is a, a huge danger in selling a single story about different identities of people because that's where prejudice comes from. That's where stereotyping comes from. That's where, um, you know, prejudging people comes from is when media, literature, TV, film, all of the things sells us an idea of what this identity of people must be like. So it's entirely possible that stay-at-home moms and wives are also really educated, are also really ambitious, are also all of these things that, these positive things that we give to working moms. So I will admit that there should be more diversity of thought and of presentation of that identity of womanhood. Sure, what I don't want us to do is to fall into the trap of saying that one walk in womanhood is superior to the other. They're just different and they deserve merit either way. I always encourage people to say the Amy Poehler quote, one of my favorite quotes, good for her, not for me. One woman's life being different from yours is not an indictment on your life. Just because I would not find in my wheelhouse of joy (laughs) being a stay-at-home wife and mother. I need to have something of my own. Or I think, is it Virginia Woolf who calls it like um, a woman needs like a, a room of her own, a space of her own. I need things of my own. I need to have my media career. I need to be able to write. I need to be able to have discussion about things that I question um, on my different platforms. I need to be able to connect with people within my wheelhouse of knowledge. I don't think that I would find joy in being a wife and a mother and that being the totality of my existence. That's me personally, but I don't think there's anything wrong with someone who does or who does desire that. That's fine. I just don't want us to be in a place where we're being pit pit against each other in this way where it's like, oh, you must think that you're better than me because no, absolutely not. We're just different. And those differences are okay. We all have a role to play in a, in our global community. And if that's your role, that's great. And I celebrate and honor you for that, but please do the same for me. I don't think it makes you a pick me until you start somehow thinking that your way of being is superior or that you start thinking that, oh, biologically, women are this way and men are that way. And by a lot, when you start doing all that stuff, that's where you lose me. If you're confident in your identity and your walk, you don't need a bunch of other people to also be comfortable with it. That's how you identify. And I think that we end up making it really hard on ourselves and on each other when we start doing the superiority thing. So that's what I just want us to kind of pull back from 
from doing and to understand that as long as you aren't putting down other women, I have no problem with, you know, heteronormative gender roles at all. If that's what works for you in your home, if that's in your wheelhouse of joy, (laughs) go for it, girl. Again, I celebrate you. I honor you. All of those things, because I don't think that that's an easy walk either. We have to stop thinking that everyone's walk is easier than ours because of these different things. And so I think that is a good segue into my next topic, which is pretty privilege. So hmm, this is so hard for me. So y'all bear with me. I have a lot of notes. I have a lot of um, strings that I'm trying to connect here. So follow with follow along with me on this this mental and verbal walk. So last week or so, a friend of mine sent me a tweet that really, I think, forced my hand at trying to have this discussion. Now, I haven't wanted to talk about pretty privilege because I was afraid that people were going to say one of two things. One, they were going to be like, how would you know you're not pretty? Or two, they would be like, how would you know you are pretty? And I think even the uh, subjective nature of how people can view me having this conversation is even more reason why I need to have this conversation. I don't have the answers here. This is something that I intend to more intentionally investigate and research. And I'll talk about that a little bit later um, towards the end of this conversation. But I have really shied away from having this conversation out of fear for how I would be judged aesthetically. And I was like, okay, so this really needs to be discussed on my platform. So this tweet, this person basically said that um, all beautiful people are morally bankrupt. And my very first thought was, well, that don't sound right. And then my next thought was, well, what happened to you? What, what happened to you as a black woman that you were not that you arrived at this place where this is a statement that you have the most conviction to make that you're standing on and that you're doubling down on. What happened? Who who didn't affirm you? Um, and then my question was, well, how are you defining beautiful? What metric are you using to say that person is beautiful over that person. Because I I had this, I started um, discussing this with several friends, two of which are researchers by trade. Um, One just earned their doctorate, another one is working on their doctorate. And we both had the question of, you know, how how are you defining beauty? And one of my friends who studies um, feminism much more in depth than I do, I'm trying to catch up to him, honestly, you know, I was like, have you seen anything about the way we assess beauty as black people? And he was like, you know, the research that I have come across where it talks about defining beauty and aesthetics, it's very skewed towards Eurocentric ideas of beauty. And that's what I was thinking, you know, where it's like, are you defining what's beautiful by a metric that is so far outside of how you identify And that's a problem in and of itself. So this also led me to um, 
asking a question of my own where I have a very anecdotal experience of my relationship to beauty. Growing up in Atlanta in the 90s where we had our community is so insulated with black people of so many different kinds of identities that we had the benefit and also it was like the heyday of black film and television so I saw so many different experiences of what it means to be black in real life and in the media. Um, there was Jet Magazine, there's Essence Magazine, there's Ebony Magazine, there's Black Enterprise, there's all these different strata of black people. So I was kind of immune to comparing myself to white definitions of beauty. I never desired to be thin. Um, Number one, the women in my family are not thin, and I always found the women in my family to be spectacularly beautiful, starting with my mom. I wanted nothing more than to be curvy like my mom. Boy, did it come, and it came with a vengeance. And so I was asking on my Twitter, you know, when you were growing up, if you grew up in Atlanta or in an insulated black community, did you feel pressure to be thin, which I think is a Eurocentric ideal of beauty is is thinness. And it was like, no, I actually hated being skinny. So I just want to pull over here to say, I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm not saying that it that it sucks to to not want to be skinny or that it sucks to not want to be thick or curvy. I'm saying that at least that beauty standard was one of our own, that curves are were more celebrated in my community. And it felt more realistic of a beauty standard than to be this very waifish, thin, um, what they called heroin chic back in the 90s. Now, I was very skinny when I was younger. I just had huge boobs. I maintained that I always had a shape, but whatever. Um, and I remember wanting to be curvier. And I remember most of my friends who were slim wanting to be curvier, wanting to have a big butt. And so I don't think anyone is immune to the effects of beauty standards. I think that they just vary from different communities. Um, But I don't feel damaged or harmed by what our standard was. And I think, too, we did see different identities of black women on television and in film back in the 90s. Um, Even if you look at the cast of Waiting to Excel, for example, there were different identities. I'll just say that. So that in and of itself, it's like, how are you defining beauty? What exactly are you saying about yourself? And what exactly are you saying about people who you perceive to be beautiful when your definition of beauty may not even really be yours? And if you listened to a couple episodes ago, my episode with Franny, where we had this moment where she was, you know, telling me, but you are beautiful. And I was very resistant to it because I have my own um, relationship with beauty where I just, why does it matter? You know, and that's something that I'm still working through. And um, we'll get to that later in the episode. But when it comes to desirability, How harmful is it to you that you don't feel desired and what bucket are you looking for to desire you, right? So I always give like the Chris Brown example. 
For some reason, Chris Brown just loves Blasians. That's just his vibe. So if you are comparing yourself to that group of women, of course you're not going to feel desired because this man has made it quite clear that's who and what he desires. So don't compare yourself to that. Go where you're celebrated. Um, At this point in my life, I don't desire anyone who doesn't desire me. So if you are a man who feels like, you know, you prefer someone who has more Eurocentric features and you want someone who is lighter skinned than me or who has a different texture of hair or who has different features than me, enjoy your life, sweetie. Uh, okay, sure. You know, um, so that's, that was, that's, that's where I came from, um, from a research perspective. How are you defining beauty? The other thing is... Privilege tends to be invisible to the people who benefit from it. It's just the way that you have navigated the world for a really long time. So you don't even know that it's happening until someone points it out to you. And so I heard on um, Larry Wilmore's podcast um, this definition of privilege, which is that you have the freedom to be mediocre where others have to be exceptional. There is definitely a system that tells us that certain people are considered beautiful and that those people behave in a very specific way. So I think that there is this propaganda surrounding the personality traits of beautiful people. We tend to not actually, as my therapist would say, we tend to not actually treat beautiful people in beautiful ways. If you even look at someone like Marilyn Monroe, who was just considered one of the world's great be- greatest beauties, right, during her time, and even she's still celebrated now, she had a very tragic life. Um, she was not treated well because of her beauty. She actually, I think, suffered quite a bit because of, because she was considered so beautiful. And I just want to say that there is validity to... The possibility, maybe it's possible that people who you perceive to be beautiful, maybe because you perceive them in that way, you assume that their life is easier and you assume that they are morally bankrupt people because of some manner of trauma that you endured. I'm not going to invalidate your experience, but don't invalidate someone else's. Because when I started having this conversation with some of my friends, what I concluded for me personally, I do not consider myself a great beauty. Um, I don't think I'm ugly, but I accepted a really long time ago. I will rarely, if ever, be the prettiest girl in any room. And I'm really okay with that because there's a lot of other things to be. Like, I, I, I don't give a shit. Um, it is entirely possible that I benefit from pretty privilege because there are people in the world who think that I'm pretty who think that I'm beautiful, who think that I am just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Just like there are people in the world who don't see what all the hype is about. But I literally in college had so many people because they perceived me to be pretty, to mistreat me because they assumed that my life was easier or that I had so many things handed to me because they perceived me to be pretty. So they felt like they should punish me more, that they should give me a dose of reality, that they should humble me. And this was men and women alike, where it's, oh, you think that you're the shit, so I'm not going to acknowledge you. I'm not going to be kind to you because I assume 
that because I perceive you to be pretty and people who I know perceive you to be pretty, you're not a nice person. You make me feel something in myself that I don't like, so I'm going to project that onto you. That has been my experience. And you're not allowed to say that because it's like this woe is me kind of thing. But what I think we should do is give space to people to talk about their individual experiences. Let me be very clear. When dark-skinned people are talking about colorism and the systemic effects of colorism on their lives, everyone who doesn't identify in that way should shut the hell up. Let them have their moment and their time to speak about the ways in which perceptions about dark-skinned people has been harmful to them. That is a valid experience that needs to be heard, that needs to be acknowledged, that we can all do a better job of supporting and fixing. We also have to give space to people who, like the quote-unquote tragic mulatto. I know I personally roll my eyes every time someone tries to talk about colorism and a light-skinned person, a biracial person, Um, comes in and says, well, I was made fun of for being pretty and for having quote unquote good hair. And it's like, babe, babe, now isn't the time. And is it possible that maybe you were actually an asshole? I just want everyone to consider the possibility that maybe you're an asshole. Maybe there is a system. No, definitely there is a system at play that says that proximity to whiteness Proximity to Eurocentric beauty standards makes you more beautiful and thusly you should have these certain rights and these certain things should be available to you. That is a true thing. That is a thing that happens. What we shouldn't do, though, is attack individuals. I think that's the problem that I have, like to make these sweeping generalizations about people who benefit from privilege that they don't ask for. That's what privilege is. It's these things that happen by chance, by birth, or by circumstance. And I think that people who benefit from certain privileges need to be aware that they benefit from those privileges. They need to call out the system at play that makes them benefit from those privileges. And they shouldn't take opportunities away from people who don't benefit from those privileges. But the example that I like to give is like the whole Kylie Jenner thing about her being a billionaire. Well, of course, that was going to happen. This is a capitalist society. She was born into a very wealthy family. Was she supposed to take a vow of poverty? What sense does it make to be upset with her for taking advantage of what she was born into? What did you expect? What you can do is call out a system that makes it possible for someone who doesn't have to work as hard to have so much. That is a thing. Nepotism is a thing. And the people who have the most continue to have the most because systems are set up for them to have the most. That's a thing. Call out the system. But to attack the individual, that's a problem because the powers that be are counting on us to... They're they're sowing dissent within people so that they can continue to stay on top. And so I hope I'm making sense here when I say that, yes, pretty privilege exists, 
But how are you defining what you consider to be beautiful and how are you interrogating your idea of beauty and how are you treating people on a day-to-day basis? All beautiful people aren't nice and all beautiful people aren't evil. Nobody is 100% good or 100% evil. People kind of live in gray areas depending on different situations. There are terrible people of all identities. I don't really see where it's productive or kind to make that kind of sweeping generalization. Another example I want to give is... um, the situation that happened that we were just made privy to between Issa Rae and Lauren London. I think this exemplifies this really well. Issa Rae is a dark-skinned black woman who has natural hair and she's doing really well for herself in her career. Lauren London is light-skinned with, you know, the looser texture of hair, considered to be a really pretty girl. She's, you know, been celebrated for a long time for her looks, whereas Issa Rae's looks are literally always up for debate on the timeline. No one is arguing, no one is ever going to argue that Lauren London is pretty, but people will always debate whether or not Issa Rae is pretty. That is a thing. That is pretty privilege at play. So Issa Rae um, talked about the fact that Nipsey Hussle mended this relationship between Issa Rae, where Issa Rae was calling out the fact that people didn't want her to star in um, Insecure and they wanted to cast Lauren London instead. And there was this discussion about like the erasure of certain identities of black women um, in certain roles and like our stories kind of get taken away from us if we don't look this certain kind of way. That is a true thing that, you know, I will not debate that at all. So this conversation between Issa Rae and Lauren London You know, Issa was explaining her perspective that, you know, I feel very limited in what I can do career wise because of my looks. And, you know, it I think that she made I think that Issa's point was valid, but she didn't have to call Lauren London by name. Um, Again, that's sowing dissent. Call out the system. Don't call out the individuals unless they're denying that that privilege exists. But um, Lauren London was like, well, the same thing happens to me. I don't really get taken seriously for other roles because of how people perceive me. Everyone is a victim of a system. And I think that it's a mistake to assume that a person who has privileges that you don't is automatically the cause of you not having those things. Another example, I'll just say, um, from this show that I'm watching, um, it's a historical drama about Chinese immigrants coming into San Francisco and there being this friction between Chinese immigrants, Irish immigrants, and freed slaves. And... The fact that Irish people were blaming freed slaves and Chinese immigrants for their inability to get work when the whole time that was intentionally set up by the government. It wasn't those individuals who were coming to this country in hopes of a better life, in hopes of better opportunity. It definitely wasn't the fault of freed slaves. Like, we didn't know what the hell was going on after we were freed. Some people didn't even know that they were free for a really long time. So how could you blame another oppressed group for your oppression? What power do you think that these people have? So, and meanwhile, the whole time, 
the government and these really big captains of industry were benefiting from this dissent that was sowed between these different groups of people where you're all victims of capitalism. We are all victims of capitalism. We are all victims of racism. We are all victims of the, you know, this system of um, these people are beautiful and these people aren't. So again, I just want to specify like as a black person, 100% we have to call out white privilege, obviously. But I want for everyone to understand that people who benefit from privilege are also capable of working hard. They're also capable of suffering from lack of privilege in other areas. Um, You can be both a victim and an oppressor at the same time. Those things are not mutually exclusive. So I hope that what I'm saying makes sense. And I hope that I'm not being too much of a sympathizer. That's what I don't want to do. I don't want to all lives matter this conversation, but I do want to say, let's interrogate a little bit more deeply how we define beauty and the characteristics that we project onto beautiful people. I wish I could remember this um, this concept that I learned in psychology or sociology, one of them back in college, where it was kind of a chicken or the egg thing in terms of desirability, where it was you know, people who have people who grow up who grew up being considered cute or pretty or desirable or whatever their whole lives, um, they kind of lean on that in order to get ahead in life. That is their privilege. That's their competitive advantage, whatever, whatever. And it is entirely possible that because they had that advantage, they became terrible people. But it's also possible that other people have been sold an idea that pretty people behave this certain kind of way. And so this must be true for all pretty people. So I'm going to treat any pretty person, any person who I perceive to be pretty in a harmful way because they all deserve to be punished for it. Now, as a black person, do you think it makes sense for you to behave that way? I don't think so. And even as a black person, I am very cautious around large groups of white people because, again, being from Atlanta, what? (laughs) If there's a white person on our side of town, they're lost or they're gentrifying. So um, I have to check myself even in the way that I navigate relationships with white people because I need to know whether or not you are aware that you have certain privileges as a white person. That's just at a base level. You need to be aware of your white privilege and I, I don't have time for white guilt. I don't have time for any of that stuff. So again, I'm trying to be very careful in in what I'm saying and the lines that can be drawn between pretty privilege and white privilege and all these different things. But there is a lot of nuance here and there is a lot that happens to even what you consider to be a privilege. How are you interrogating that? Are you saying... Are you are you talking about systemically that people who are considered more attractive get more job opportunities, which is something that I'm actively going to research. Um, But again, I have to come up with what is the definition of of pretty or beautiful. Um, Are you saying because there is a systemic thing that happens there again, I'm looking for the research or are you talking about desirability? Are you jealous of or do you feel a way about women who you perceive to be pretty being able to walk into a room and get a certain kind of attention that has been denied to you. Um, That's a valid experience, but whose fault really is that? Because people desire what they desire. 
I don't think that people owe us desirability. I don't want for Chris Brown to suddenly say, you know, oh, no, all black women are beautiful. Um, I'm attracted to all black women when we see evidence to the contrary. Chris Brown does not owe it to me to be attracted to me. I don't demand that of people. And these are just these definitions of what the privilege is. What do you consider to be a privilege? Because I I don't think all beautiful people even want that kind of attention all the time. Um, Especially when it comes to street harassment, what you're looking at as a privilege, they may not consider to be a privilege outside of the systemic things, you know, outside of, you know, having a job and being approved for loans and, you know, these things that are kind of like more readily available to people who are closer to um, Eurocentric or, you know, proximity to whiteness, like those things. Sure. But outside of that, how are you interrogating what you consider to be pretty and what you consider to be a privilege? Because everybody may not want what you think that is. Um Again, I don't have an answer here. These are, you know, I also have questions. I also want us to to dig deeper into our different definitions of things. And I also think it's important for us to affirm ourselves. I think Franny made a really good point that we have to come up with our own standard of beauty. We have to come up with our own definition of beauty so that we aren't taking in so many of those projections of um, other people's ideals of like who we are and how we should behave. And again, be more aware of like the single narrative that you may be sold about certain identities of people. We're all living under the scrutiny and the oppression of different systems, some of us more than others. But these are things that I just think that we need to interrogate more. Like, um, What do we feel that we owe each other in the conversation on beauty and desirability? I think that I shouldn't make you feel bad about how you do look. Even if I don't find you attractive, I shouldn't punish you because I don't find you attractive. You know, things like that. So settle this to say that I definitely want to start researching this topic more. Our relationship to beauty, how we define what's aesthetically pleasing, how we can, you know, rally against that. Um, What is the importance of desirability? Is that something that we absolutely need? Do we owe that to each other? I have a lot of questions surrounding this. I'm going to start actively researching this. I don't know what's going to come of it, but I'm very curious to know more about this topic and about people's different experiences with beauty. I kind of wanted to reach out to that girl just to find out like, what is your your beauty story? What is your beauty history? At what point did you start to feel like you weren't in the realm of beautiful people? And why is that? Um, if you're interested in sharing your own story or your own history with beauty, I would be really interested to hear from you. I want to start, you know, gathering data to research this further because I'm very curious about it. So if you want to be a part of my data gathering, um, shoot me an email. I'm going to put that in my episode description so you don't need to like stop your car to write anything down. Um, But this is something that I want us to talk about more, to interrogate more, to really dig into. I hope I did a good job of communicating my different ideals about um, this topic and like the way we need to look more at systems and punish individuals less unless those individuals are denying 
privilege or taking opportunities from other people based on privilege. Um, These are just some things that I'm thinking about. Again, I don't have the answers. I'm hoping we can get to a place where we find some. So I'm definitely going to be interviewing people and asking a lot of different people questions about how they interrogate beauty and what their relationship to it is. I feel like I'm rambling here. Um, I took a lot of notes on this. I hope I covered everything and I hope that I was clear. And again, my main goal here is to help people to feel better and to think differently or to consider different um, perspectives and to kind of unlearn some of the harmful things that a lot of us have taken in. And I never want to be harmful. I want to be helpful and curious. So I hope that I did that today. So thank you guys for joining me and listening to me ramble on and get these thoughts out of my head and off of my notes app. Um, I hope to approach this conversation again with more data, with more info, and be sure to like and rate and review if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes. It helps out a bunch. Um, Be sure to subscribe, share this episode, give me some feedback. I want to hear from you guys about um, what you think about these topics between pick-me's and pretty privilege. I think that there is a very strong through line between those things. I can't wait to get to that place in my research. Um, If you have any recommendations of things to read so that I can become, you know, more informed um, about different perspectives and ways to approach this conversation, please, I'm open to um, resources, of course, to read more, to learn more. So thank you guys for joining me. I will talk to you again soon. Be well and send me some money. I can always use more money. Okay. Love you all. Bye.